Amen. Praise God. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. Uh, we are going to be in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. It's the last book in the Bible. It's a good way to find it. Um, if you're on your iPhone, it's the book called Revelation. So just look for that button. Um, while you're flipping there, uh, I went to Baker Brothers the other day with a buddy of mine. Um, Baker Brothers is one of the better establishments ever uh, as a restaurant. If you haven't been to Baker Brothers, I'm not sponsored by Baker Brothers, but I'm hoping at the end of this sermon I will be. So uh, if you work for Baker Brothers Corporate, just let them know. Maybe send them the podcast. It's a great place. So uh, I was waiting for my buddy, and he was running late, and, uh, and so I was already inside, and I was like checking text messages or something, and I looked up, and I see him walking in, uh, and uh, you know he has the, the parking lot encounter with the guy who's like working his way through the parking lot asking for money. And so I see him talking to the guy in the parking lot who's like, hey, man, I need some food kind of thing. And so I see my buddy, and he's like, oh, man, I, I can tell, you know, hand motions. He's waving his arms. Let's go eat in here. And so sure enough, he walks in, and so I, I meet the guy, um, and, uh, and we're like, hey, man, cool, come. And, he's, and he says, hey, can I have some money? I'm, I'm starving. I really need some money. I'm, I'm really hungry. Uh, I, I really just need some food, man. I'm, I'm famished. And uh, and because it's 2017, like, I don't have cash on me because that's weird. Uh, and so I was like, hey, man, just walk up and order with us. And whatever you want, like, I'll just use my card, and, yeah, that'll be great. And so he's, like, real hesitant to do that. He's like, no, man, it'll be great. It's on me. I promise we'll, we'll take care of it. It's great. It's Baker Brothers, so it's cheap. It's cheap food. It's good, but it's cheap food. Um, and so we walk up to the line, and he's like, oh, man, what should I get? And, and me and, and my friend were like, you can get anything. You can get anything on this menu. And it, they have everything. Sandwiches and like potato with like steak in it, and they've got pizzas and they've got salads with like good, like these kind of salads, like this, the good kind of salad with like chicken and nuts and crack and all that kind of stuff all shaken up in that. <laughs> and so we're like, man, anything you want, like anything you want, you got it. And he's staring at the menu, and so I'm kind of stalling. So I order, and, and then uh, my buddy orders, and so we're like, kind of, hey man, so anything you want. And he's like, ah, man, I don't know, nah, I don't, I'm just, I don't, I don't know, man. We're like, no, seriously, anything you want. And there's a display of cookies right in front of us, like already made cookies in these little plastic tubs. He's like, I'll, I'll just take some cookies. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I, I just, well, I'll just take some cookies. I was like, all right. So we bought him seven cookies, right? And they're like massive, seven massive sugar cookies or however many we got them. And uh, we're like stuffing his pockets and he wanted a bag to put his cookies in and we're like putting them all, you know. And, and so then we check out and I, you know, I swipe the card and I get the receipt and then I kind of turned to go, and then he says, no joke, he says, man, I'm just so hungry, I need some real food. And we both stop, and we're like, bro, literally, like there's infinite options, it's Baker Brothers, the greatest restaurant ever, infinite options right here, here's the menu, I'll swipe my card, infinite money on this card, anything you want. <laughs> anything. He's like, no, I'm just, no, I'm just going to take my cookies. And then he took his cookies and he left. And I just remember thinking like, you're killing me, right? You're killing me. And, and I say that story for one, for my sponsorship deal with Baker Brothers, but also um, I say that story because man, that is, that is my life, right? Like, and where we're going in tonight's sermon, one of the things that I find, and I think we, those of us who are Christians in this room find, is we get to this place where we're just starving. Maybe we use the word starving, maybe we use the word dry, maybe we use the word burned out or whatever it is, and we get to this place, and our God says, and I have given you everything. 
I have revealed myself, the eternal triune God, in this word of mine. And it is available to you. And I like flip it open and I'm like, oh, what's my reading for the day? And I kind of skim through it and I just, and I'm like, but man, I'm so dry. And he's given it to us. And he's given us his word and he's given us food and he's given us what we need to grow and to follow and to sit under the living water of the word of God. And, uh, and so I'm convicted by that. And I think this series, my hope, uh, our hope as a staff and our prayer, anytime we preach, is to say, let's open up the word of God and let's let it refresh us. And so specifically tonight, as we're going to look at this first church in the book of Revelation, um, we're going to want to draw back to this. And I want that image to be in your head as you walk away from this room to say, man, there is a place, there is a place the Lord has given us his word and there is a place where I can be replenished. And so that's where, uh, that's where we're headed tonight. So Revelation 2. Revelation 2 uh, just the first seven verses are all we're going to tackle tonight. Um, last week, we, we went through the whole first chapter, um, and we saw, we saw our author, John, take a glimpse at a few things. He took a glimpse last week at what Jesus did. He took a, a glimpse at what Jesus is going to do in returning as a judge. And then he also took a glimpse of who Jesus is um, in chapter 1. And, and then at the end of chapter 1, we see this encounter between John, the author, encountering Jesus, and not only Jesus, but a Jesus that he never seemed to know. Because John walked with Jesus and was his homeboy, but then at the end of this chapter in Revelation, 60 years after the disciple John walked with Jesus Christ historically and throughout his earthly ministry, he comes face to face with a Jesus that puts him on his face, that, that, that stirs a fear and an awesome reverence of this kind of Jesus. And so tonight, we're going to begin the first church uh, of our series of seven churches that are called out by Jesus in this book. So here we go. I'm going to read these seven verses, and then we're just going to chew through it. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent." Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Good stuff. Good stuff. Let me give a quick overview before we just dig in to the beginning of verse 1 here in this chapter. Uh, these passages, and really this is going to go for the next seven weeks as, as Jesus is addressing seven different churches. Tonight is Ephesus, but seven different churches over the next seven weeks in, in chapters two and three. And these passages we're going to study are written for churches in the actual first century uh, period of time. Actual first century churches, actual first century Christians, they were written for those. And yet, just like any 
New Testament writing, any writing in the word of God, we also take those and we apply them to our context today. And we, we apply them to us as current followers of Christ. So these sermons are very much unapologetically directed at Jesus speaking to those who call themselves followers of him. They're very much, these sermons are driven towards, these are, my, these are people who call themselves Christians. I need to speak something to you. I need to point out a blind spot. I need to call you out on something. I need to encourage you. Um, and so to my brothers and sisters in this room who, who are Christians, uh, my prayer is that you would listen, that you would hear. Verse seven, he who, hear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And my prayer is that you'd hear and apply this. And for anybody in this room who's non-Christian, right? For my friends who are in this room who are non-Christians, praise God that you're in here. And I think, honestly, this is an awesome series for you to sit in if you're on the fence. If you're just curious or checking it out or somebody tricked you into coming or whatever it is, then I think what a great series for you to sit and watch what Jesus says to those who call himself followers. Maybe because you have seen followers of Christ and maybe that's a part of the reason that you are still on the fence, because you've seen a lifestyle that maybe doesn't connect or doesn't excite you or whatever it is, or maybe the opposite. Maybe there's pain in your life, but you've seen a group of Christians who really love in a different way, and you want to know more about that. This is an awesome series, but I want you to sit and I want you to watch what Jesus says and what he calls from those who follow him. So at the beginning of chapter two, we see some symbolism, right? Uh, We really see it throughout the book of Revelation. So let me try to clear up a few things before we just jump into walking through these verses. Um, some imagery I think is powerful, I think it's important. Verse one, he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars, that's kind of weird, in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So I just want to unpack, because we're going to see the symbolism, these numbers a lot. Um, The seven stars, most commentaries and and theologians are going to say that those seven stars are the seven leaders uh, of each of these seven churches, or maybe it's even an angelic leader of these seven churches. Uh, there's a lot of debate on that, but the seven lampstands, there's not much debate. The seven lampstands represent these seven churches, uh, specifically in these chapters that he's addressing. So each church is represented as this different lampstand. Um, and, uh, and, and one of the things that is really important for us to see, to I think understand the context of chapter two and chapter three of this book, is we should be reading this the way John would be writing it which would be first century Jews and and new Gentiles who would have had a perspective of what temple worship looked like. And so the imagery that God is using here with these lampstands, if if I can, there's there's kind of this uh, Old Testament context that's really important. So let me nerd it up for just a second. In the Old Testament, God showed up and he gave them plans to build a temple. And so they built this temple. And in that temple in the Old Testament was where the spirit of God would dwell. And there were these different layers to that temple. And you could get inside of the holy place. And then within that, there was another curtain to step into the holy of holies where the spirit of God dwelled. But in that holy place, it was wrapped in a curtain. It was was surrounded by curtains. So it would have been completely pitch dark. And only the priest would go behind those curtains and go into that holy place. Um, And when they would go into that holy place, one of the designs was a lampstand. And there was designed in the Old Testament temple this place to have the lampstands. And that would be the only source of light in this entire dark room. And we see the imagery here that that Jesus is using to reveal himself as our high priest. He's revealing that these churches are this light in a completely dark place. And yet these churches that God has established and God is trying to refine is the only source of light in this dark place. And it is the high priest who goes in there and it's his responsibility to make sure that those lampstands are are shining bright, 
are illuminating that holy place in that area. And so his job is to trim the wicks. You know, maybe the wick on the candle gets a little long and so he's got to trim it down or check the oil or fill more oil in it. Or his job was to refine and to, to essentially sanctify. And so this is the imagery that we're seeing with these seven churches. Jesus is the high priest who's walking up to these seven churches and saying, you are called to be light. He's walking up to your life if you are now a temple of the Lord and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is standing before you saying, I am here to trim the wick. I'm here to add the oil. I'm here to tweak you so that you might shine and be a light in darkness. And that's how he calls these churches out. And that's the context that we should be looking at it. Uh, it's, It's an awesome, awesome thing. So he starts with Ephesus. He starts with Ephesus, and the context of the church of Ephesus is pretty cool too. So let me unpack that real quick. Ephesus was the jam. This place was incredible. It was incredible by size, but it was also incredible by importance. Ephesus was a a hub, a cultural hub in the first century world. It was a massive, massive city. It was a port city. It it was the, the basically capital of banking. It was the New York meets London meets Hong Kong meets, I mean, it was, it was this hub of business and travel, and, and it was also known. I mean, it was known for having worship of the goddess uh, Artemides or Diana, right? And that goddess was the goddess of love and fertility. And so there's this massive, there was this massive, massive temple uh, that was one of the six wonders of the world and this incredible thing that people would come from all around the world and they knew Ephesus is where the goddess of love lived. And so we see this theme of love played out in the church of Ephesus. And even throughout the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament, it's written to that church also, it's Paul writing a letter to that church probably 30 years before Revelation was written, we see a church that is incredible also. I mean, the Ephesians, this church that, that was in this city, this group of believers, this was a church that the Apostle Paul started. He started this thing, and it was incredible. They were putting, putting out of business. There's a story in Acts 19 where there's a silversmith who gets really, really pissed because all the Christians showed up, and all of a sudden these people are converting to following Christ. And so because of that, they're not worshiping the God of Artemis. So he's putting out the idol makers. And so this guy who's a silversmith is like, dude, my job is to make idols for the, the love goddess, and now everyone's following this Jesus thing. Man, I, nobody's buying idols anymore, and he gets ticked and wants to throw Paul out, and there's this big confrontation. The church in Ephesus, man, they were, they were putting idol worshipers out of business because people were falling in love with Jesus, and people were converting, and it was this incredible hub of Christianity uh, in the early, early beginnings of the New Testament church. Even John, the apostle John, who wrote this, was believed to be an elder of this church, so this church was incredible, and Jesus notices it, right? I mean, he talks about it. He's got a lot of great things to say about him. In verse 2, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostle and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Even in verse 6, drop your eyes down to verse 6, he says, yet this you have, you hate, the, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, right, which I also hate. And that was a group of basically false prophets. There's a lot of debate of exactly what bad theology they had. 
But they were this group of people that had some bad theology and they were trying to influence everyone. They were trying to pull, some, pull people away from Christianity and the church of Ephesus stood their ground. And they said, hey man, we hate the works of, of these guys. And Jesus affirms that. And let me, a uh, little rabbit trail here, but let me make sure you notice, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't hate the Nicolaitans, right? He hates the works of the Nicolaitans, right? He, he doesn't hate these people. He hates what they're doing, that they're trying to pull people away from his glory, that they're trying to pull people away from following him. And the Ephesians were right there fighting uh, that fight in the trenches. Some incredible positives, right? And it's pretty, pretty sweet if you have Jesus Christ like giving you pats on the back. Like you can get like certi certifications and like little like, hey, little trophies. But like if you get a trophy from Jesus Christ, that's a really big deal, right? You should hold on to that one if you get like a little plaque one day, and it's from Jesus, hold on to that, and then call me. <laughs> we'll go Baker Brothers, and we'll talk about what God's doing in your life. <laughs> Positives, man, they worked hard. These people worked hard. They worked hard for the kingdom, right? They were kingdom builders of, of the kingdom of God. They worked hard. They remained faithful. They were patient through seasons of persecution. This is the first century church. It was not popular to be a Christian. It was not the thing to do to be a Christian. And they fought through that, and they stayed strong, and they stayed focused on Christ. They didn't tolerate evil, right? They stood firm on all that. They were an incredible, incredible church. And maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Now, I know like in church you're not supposed to do that because then you get called self-righteous. But I think realistically, I think this church, I know certainly for me, and I think a lot of you guys in this room, this church is going to connect with you. You're, you're here on a Wednesday night. I mean, realistically, you guys are here on a Wednesday night. So there's some level of commitment that you guys have to this whole following Jesus thing that you're hungry and that you desire and that you want to be a part of his kingdom and you want to, be, you want to worship him. And you... So maybe you look at some of this and you say, man, okay, I've been through some hard stuff. I know those of you who I know in this room, I know some people in this room who have gone through hard stuff, who are focused, who are giving their lives away, who love Jesus in awesome, awesome ways and are serving him and are a part of his kingdom. You guys are incredible. You are. You humble me. Josh, who, who co-runs this ministry with me, man, we, our whole staff, we are humbled constantly by this flock that we get to lead. It's like, yeah, man, let's go. I'm like, oh, crap, they're way up there. We got to catch up, right? That's what it feels like because there are people in this room who you love Jesus and you want to give your life away and you've been through crap and yet you keep fighting and you keep staying focused and that's awesome and awesome and praise be to God for that. Praise be to God. Here's the turn, verse four. But I have this against you. Our ears should perk up. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Listen to me. God doesn't want your works. God wants your love. Right? God doesn't want you to do all of these things for him. He wants your love foundationally. That's what our God is after. Your love and worship and adoration of him. The Ephesians, right? I mean, 35 years before this, maybe 30 to 35 years before the book of Revelation was written, the book of Ephesus was written by Paul. And Paul says in chapter one, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith of the Lord and your love, 
and your love. Man, I, to all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers daily. I mean, the Apostle Paul, this church, they, just 30 years before this prophecy is given over them, they were a church known for how they love and how well they love, how great their love is. But somewhere along the way, they drifted. Something happened in this church. Something happened in these, this believer's life, these believers where they drifted. And then they were sold out, and they were in love, and then there was a drift. And look, no Christian suddenly just wakes up and says, I'm just not in love with Jesus anymore. That doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. So maybe, um, maybe in your life, or maybe in people you know, it's hardships, right? It's just stuff in our life that just stinks. And those things keep coming, and they seem to pile on each other, and it seems like they just won't relent. Maybe it's unanswered questions, right? Maybe you've got questions in, in your walk, or you know people who have questions about God and some of these things, and they're great questions. And instead of fighting to answer them, we just say, well, I'm going to put it back, burner, put it back. And we just haven't fought to find some good answers and to step into those things and to wrestle in community with some of those things. Um, or maybe just in the midst of working and serving and worshiping, all of a sudden you just find yourself drier and drier and drier and you're going through the motions and you're going through the motions and then all of a sudden you wake up and you just think, man, I feel so dry. How did I get here? Jesus says you have abandoned the love you had at first. To be called out by Jesus. For us as believers to hear this, to hear the word of God over us tonight and say, man, have we abandoned our first love? There's so many lies that lead us to get to that place. There's a lot of different lies that we believe. One of them is that this lie that we have to, that we have to do, this innate desire in us that we have to do, that God needs us, that God needs our deeds, and because of that, we just need to keep moving. And a lot of that is because we don't trust his control, right? We don't trust that God's in control and that he's sovereign. And, we, and so because of our lack of trust in that, our priorities reflect, well, I've got to be in control. I've got to do things. I've got to make things happen. I don't trust that God is going to provide, is going to show up, is going to do this work. I need to do these things. And so we fill our lives with that thing. You don't trust God should be in control. And so you take control and you are deprioritizing. Because of the things you're trying to do, maybe do for God or do in a way that honors God, because of that, you're deprioritizing the God of the universe. It's the story of the family man, right? It's the story of that family man who really wants to provide for his kids, and he wants to work so hard because he loves his kids so much, and he's got these babies, and he's staring at them, and he's like, oh my gosh, I want to provide for them. And he lives his life, and he becomes a workaholic, and he works, and he works, and he works, and he does, and he does, and he does. And then he shows up in their life in college, and they don't know him, and, and he abandoned them. He wasn't there for them, and he didn't love them the way he wanted, because he just did, he was so busy. And he didn't stop. And what they wanted was a father in their life who loved them, but what they got was a guy who thought he was loving them, and instead was just doing things for them. And then their relationship drifted apart. It's that story in our life with our God. Oh, we need to do these things. I need to work harder. I need to do more. I need to, I need to provide for myself in a bigger and better way, and not being a good steward, not just saying, oh, I need to be a good steward of what God's given me, but I need to build. I need to, I need to be a captain of my own ship. It's a lie that we believe that leads us to drift, to drift away from our first love. Another lie. Um, we get too infatuated 
with the stuff and we forget about the person. Here's what I mean with that. Um, my uh, wife, there's a ministry called YWAM, and I love it. I'm not throwing YWAM under the bus. Uh, I love YWAM. My wife actually served with YWAM before we got engaged. And so she lived in Denver at this like whole base thing, did all this discipleship stuff, and she moved to Bosnia for, uh, she like went on this mission, extended mission trip to Bosnia for a month or two. And, uh, and it was an awesome experience, and God used it in her life. But one of the things we saw with some of the community that we got to walk with in her specific class and some of the people afterwards was there was this desire that happened and this thing that happened uh, where it wasn't, and Jesus wasn't enough. There kind of had to be this cool stuff that went along with him. So Jesus is great, but what's really great is kind of these fireworks that we perceive are attached to Jesus. And so because of that, it became this kind of unhealthy dynamic that at first didn't seem unhealthy. It seemed like awesome and on fire and energetic, and this is so cool, and this is great. But really, it started to become more and more of a thing of we're just looking for the cool stuff attached to Jesus, and we've lost sight of Jesus. And so, man, we're going to do this big evangelism thing, and all these people are going to get saved, and we're going to go out, and we're going to do all these things, but we're not really doing it with Jesus, we just want to see cool stuff, or, oh, man, this, this awesome miracle happened, or this awesome miracle, or all of a sudden, like, some bro was prophesying over me, and that's great, and that's way cooler than opening up the Word of God and seeing what Jesus says about me. And so those aren't inherently bad things, right? Those are all great things, but what happens is this drift happens, and it, it's really subtle, but we've seen it with some of our really close friends where all of a sudden, the stuff attached to Jesus, all this cool stuff actually becomes way more sexy and way more energetic. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, and I've watched dozens of people wander into this and then just be disillusioned because some of the fireworks slow down and some of the fireworks steady. And, and our conversations haven't been driven by who Christ is and who Jesus is. They've been driven by, did you see this? And oh my gosh, and then we did this, and this was an awesome thing. And then we went on this mission trip, and it was incredible. And then we, you know, and then we didn't eat for like 90 days, and then this happened. And then like Shekinah glory, and I walked on water, and it was awesome and great. It's great stuff. Great stuff. But man, for, for me and my life, the way I'm wired, I can be more in love with that stuff than I am with Jesus. And and it's this really inadvertent way to just sneak into this drifting. And then all of a sudden that stuff doesn't do, and I need a cooler thing. And ah, yeah, I haven't heard one of those cool stories. And I mean, we need that. I, mean, I, need a, I, need a I need just a shot, an injection of like the cool Holy Spirit stuff. And we've lost sight of our first love. And it's happened to friends that are close to me. And, it's, and Danielle and I have even wandered through some of that stuff when we were in our early 20s. What do we do with that? And we drift. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's awesome. It's just not the main thing. Third lie. Third lie, how you might end up drifting, um, is you got sold some just phony gospel, right? You got sold a phony gospel where you just needed a conversion. You just need, Jesus was there for a conversion point in your life to put your faith in him. But the whole idea of a relationship with Jesus isn't really discussed and talked about. And, and there's other friends of mine and other denominations, and I think we fall into it. At the, we fall into it in any church in any denomination. But where there's a lot of emphasis on, man, let's get, get people saved. And man, they prayed a prayer, or they walked an aisle, or maybe there was a genuine conversion point. But then the idea of walking out a relationship and, and being in a relationship with Jesus Christ is not talked about, and it's not walked through. And the lie is that, is that Jesus is just the doorway, 
And Jesus is not just the doorway. He is the whole point. Jesus is not the doorway to salvation. Jesus is the point of our salvation. A relationship with Christ Jesus to bring him glory, to walk with him, is the point of our salvation. And yet so often he just becomes the means to that ticket. And then there's no, and so because of that, the idea of lost my first love is going to be so true to you guys if, if that's something that maybe has been preached over you or spoken over you or just been a pattern in your life to be like, well, man, I, I got saved. But this whole relationship with Jesus thing, no one's really unpacked that for me. How do I walk daily in a relationship with Jesus Christ? How do I see my salvation not as the, as the turning point to the now have a relationship with the God of the universe? We want to walk with you. That is why we exist as a church to equip you and to pour into you. We want you to get another community of other people who are doing that. Find us, talk to us, raise your hand, email us, let us know. Man, I am wandering, I have drifted. I, I want to hear more about the relationship side. I got maybe saved at this age, but man, I do not have a relationship. I want to walk through that with you. Anything less than a relationship with Jesus Christ is not the Christian life. That's what we're called to. Okay, and so the last lie that leads us to drift is this. It's the lie that we can coast. Somewhere along the line, and I, I, I mean, I, I fall for this one hook, line, and sinker every time. I fall into this lie that I can just kind of coast. Man, that I can have this amazing kind of break and Sabbath with the Lord and just be, be walking with Jesus in some great ways. And then things get busy and it's like, I, I can kind of coast on the equity that I built up with Jesus, and I can just kind of ride that for a while. And it's this lie that I can coast or that there is a neutral, and that's a lie. There isn't. Coasting doesn't exist. We're either killing sin and looking more like Christ, or it is killing us. But if we think we're coasting, most likely we're just secretly under attack, and the beams that we're standing on are being chiseled away, and we don't know it. And then we're going to wake up one day and realize, man, I have really drifted, and I didn't realize it. There's a great quote from D.A. Carson. We're going to throw it up on the screen. Um, I, I love this quote. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness and prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Brothers and sisters, we drift. We drift. It's part of our nature, it's part of our world, it's part of our default setting. We drift. Let me, um, let me be real transparent with my, just for my sake here because um, I have to. Uh, this passage, to me, I love this passage, uh, but I also hate that I'm preaching it. Um, I don't really hate that I'm preaching it, but I, I, this is me. I struggle with this so much. And people who in this room know me and have gotten to walk with me for seasons after seasons, um, and I'm so bad at this. I, I, I will walk with the Lord in these really close, great ways, and then I'll believe this lie that I can kind of coast, 
and I'll believe this lie and I'll get busy because, you know, kind of that first lie of, well, I need to do all these things and there's all these great opportunities and God needs me to do this stuff and I'm paid to be a pastor. I'm paid to remain close to Jesus and call others that way. And yet, honestly, guys, I, and honestly, just tonight, this past week, I was confessing to Danielle, I'm dry. I just feel dry. And I know he hasn't changed. I know, I know God hasn't changed in his relationship and love and adoration and presence in my life, but as I get busy and busy and busy with all these great good things, I look up and I just get dry. It's this pattern of immaturity in my life. And then I stand before a room full of my brothers and sisters and this wave of insecurity comes over me. I think, who am I? Man, who am I to lead you guys? God, I miss him. I'm dry. And I've been that way for a few weeks. And there's other seasons where I'm that way for months. And I feel like I'm just going through the motion and just creating plastic fruit because I, I know what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. I can relate so much to this, this drifting in our life. And so the same truth every time, that's the only thing that gives me any validity to get to be a brother in your life, to speak encouragement over your life is, man, I'm here with you, but I know this is truth, and this is where we go. And my adequacy, just like your adequacy, doesn't come from my track record and, and just how incredibly mature I am at this comes from our ability to say, Lord, reveal this. Would we be honest? Would we confess it? Would we bring it into the light and confess it? And so I'm confessing to you as a pastor, I struggle with this. I lose sight of my first love. The God of the universe who called me and sustains me and has so much for me as I walk with him, and then I get busy doing a bunch of stuff for him. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry as a leader for you guys. But it doesn't affect the fact that the Holy Spirit is still the one who is the adequacy to say, follow me. Follow me. And I get to be the inadequate broken vessel, the, the wounded leader to say, yes, we need that. Let's follow him. Let's return to our first love. Let's return. Let's go back to the source. Let's acknowledge where we are and let's change. And let's be a community of people walking that out in our life. He gives us the blueprint for how to do this. So he, here's where we're going to land the plane. Verse 5. He gives us this blueprint of how I go from this place of being dry and being stale and being, being away from my first love and call me back. Look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Three things. He says, remember. Right off the bat, very beginning, first word in verse five. If you've got a Bible that's yours, circle that. Three ways that Jesus is saying, here's how you come back. Church, I love you. Believer, son, daughter, I love you. You have wandered. You are dry. I know you are dry. I am calling you back. Tonight, I am calling you back, he's saying. And he starts verse five with remember, therefore, from where you were. So stop and remember. The whole reason we... At the end of this, and for those of you guys who are new or haven't been with us before, um, here in a little bit, the band's going to come back up, and they're going to lead us in worship of our holy God, that we get to stand before, and we get to acknowledge who he is, and pray these prayers, and sing this adoration over him. And then after that time, they're going to stay up here for as long as it takes, and allow you to just sit and be still, if that's what you need. Or even during worship, if you just need to sit and remember, remember back 
to where you were, to remember back to, man, when I'm walking in the Spirit, when I'm walking in Christ, and you should be, if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, you should be able to remember. If you are, if you are still, and if you can stop and be still and, and clear out all the crap that's in our head, and just say, Lord, would I, would I remember what that was like? You should remember. And, and you're not trying to think of a specific moment of conversion. You're just trying to think of those seasons or maybe a season when you were close to the Lord, when you were walking, when he was your first love. You remember that. And then you repent. Verse 5, you repent. And that is this idea of changing your mind. Our minds are so entrenched with these lies and the way we've wandered and these lies that have led us to drift and we're entrenched with that, so we change our minds. Tonight, you find clarity that maybe you have forsaken your first love. And so tonight is a night that you say, man, I have. I have wandered away from Jesus. I have, I have traded these other things for him, and I want to get back to my first love. I remember what that's like. I'm going to change my mind. All these other things I'm chasing, Lord, I repent of those, and I want to change my mind to focus on you. Maybe you know what's led you to this dry place tonight. Right, so maybe that repentance is very clear of maybe it's, a, maybe it's a relationship that you're in, that you have said, I want this relationship with this other person more than I want Jesus. And tonight, the Lord is saying, what I have is better. I am your first love. And you have to repent of that. You need to say, man, I have to change my mind about how I see this other person as my joy, as my satisfaction, as my one thing, as, as my foundation, I need to change my mind. Or maybe it's the lack of a relationship. Maybe the lack of a relationship tears you up in this constant battle that you wage to say, why, why can I not have what someone else has? Why have I not been given that? I've been faithful. I've been true. God, I am doing it your way, and I still don't have what I desire and I'm praying for. Why are you holding out on me? And there's become bitterness and resentment. And so you've drifted away, and there's this time of repentance tonight to say, Jesus, you are better than my lack of relationship. You are my first love. Would I return to you? Maybe just you've become your first love, right? Maybe you've just fallen in love with yourself and your own self-gratification and what you want and your desires and your kingdom, and all of those things take precedent over, over being in love with Jesus, First and foremost, maybe you're just busy and you've filled your life with all these things to do. Maybe you care more about his stuff and his effects than you do Jesus. Maybe you've just been treating Jesus Christ as the doorway and you've never really walked with him as your first love and as your, as your savior in a daily way. So return. Repent and do the works you did at first. This is, that's his third point, he says. Remember, therefore, where you've fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. Do the works. Return to those things that you did at first. And let's be real clear. This whole sermon, right, this whole passage is all about, it's not about the things we do, right? We see this, this sharp left turn. I want to make sure we understand. It's not about the things we do, right? We, we do all these things and we lost sight of our first love, so how do we get back? We repent and do the things, wasn't that what got me in this trouble? No, when he says, do the things that you did before, do the works that you did at first, it's referring to the things that you do that put you in the place to receive the love of God. What are those things? 
What are the things that you do in your life that you don't do for God? You do so that you can be under his love, under his fountain, under the living water that our God has established. Read the Bible. I mean, that is, a, that is as Bible churchy answer as we can give you as an application to a sermon. But read the Bible. The menu of God's feast, the cure for your dryness is the word of God. And we don't read the Bible so that he loves me. Right, That would be doing it to earn his love. and that's No, I read it because he loves me and because I love him. And I want to know him more and more and more. I don't date my wife so that she'll love me. I date my wife because I love her and I want to spend time with her and I want to know her more. We get in the word of God not as obligation. Oh man, I gotta do this. So maybe you are in the word of God and you're dry, but you're in the word of God as homework or you're treating the powerful word of God as a box you have to check so that you maintain the list of spiritual things and you wonder why you're dry, repent from that because that's evil because that's not what the word of God is designed to be. Instead, you say, I'm gonna be in this word of God and maybe it doesn't instantly wash over you with all of this feeling and emotion and Jesus' love is returned, but you still steadfastly say, Lord, I wanna know you. I wanna wrestle with you. I wanna be around other people who are studying. Let's study it together. Let's get in a home group. We'll all study it together. We'll all talk about what Jesus is showing us. And we get in the word of God, we read the Bible, we worship. And we worship, again, not to earn God's love. I don't show up at a worship service to earn God's love. I show up to a worship service because I love him and I want to be reminded of that first love. So you worship him. You confess your sin. I don't confess my sin so that I did the right thing and I checked the box. I confess my sin because I I love Jesus more than I love myself. And man, if I love myself, then man, I'm just gonna hide my sin. Dude, I don't wanna tell Josh what I struggle with. I don't wanna tell brothers, I don't wanna tell my wife what I'm wrestling with. That sucks. But confession isn't to make me feel better about myself or to do the right thing. Confession is to say, but I love Jesus more, and so I'm gonna bring this out in the light so these brothers can see it and speak, speak truth into it so I can walk away from that. Confession becomes this act of love for the Lord. And we, we pray. These are spiritual disciplines. We walk out the spiritual disciplines, not to check boxes, but to put us in a place where we get to sit under the love of God. If you are dry, return to your first love. Jesus, Jesus is standing before you tonight through the power of his word, chapter two of the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's standing before you tonight And he's saying, I know where you are. I know where you are. And and for many of us in this room, the conviction that we have before the Lord is, I've walked away from my first love. We didn't lose our salvation. He didn't change. We walked away and he's standing here before you and he's saying, return to me. Repent. Walk with me again. Remember how sweet it is. I am here. Walk with me. It's the challenge that Jesus Christ has over all of our lives tonight. Let me pray. Father, would we do this well? We want to remember who you are, Father. God, reveal yourself. Reveal who you are. Reveal for my brothers and sisters in this room those seasons where we walked closely with you and and we remember that. Would that stir our affections for you and stir our worship for you? 
to remember how he loves us. Father, allow us to remember how good you are to us. And God, would we repent from where we've drifted? Would we repent from where we've drifted and return? You don't drift. You don't change. God, we need you. Father, your word is preached. Holy Spirit, lead us back to you. We love you. We love you. We want to love you more. Forgive us, broken people. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that has earned us relationship with you because we could not earn it ourselves. And so Jesus Christ came and died and hung on a cross and God in flesh took on the sins of the world. And now for those who are in Christ, Lord, we, we want to return to you. So would we do that tonight, God? Would all of us be able in some ways be able to be reminded and because of the power of the gospel return to you? And for my friends in this room who maybe have never walked into that relationship or still curious, God, stir their affections for you, Lord. Show up in a way that we cannot refuse. We love you, we need you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.